0: (laughs) Thank you. Hey, everyone. Hey, Bruce, my boots. How's it going, guys? Brian? Paul, nice to see you. Doing well. my Boots, welcome.
1: GM, loving the tunes. Super chill.
0: Happy Saturday, everyone. Um, let's get this started. This is uh, RDAO Hour. Uh, this is a show where just every Saturday, 4 p.m. Eastern, we just try to build out kind of one hour at a time. Uh, this is episode three with uh, law professor Brian Fry, who's uh, up here on stage um kind of general disclosures agreements you know the the, there are a couple this week that are they're really important uh the show is not legal advice we're not giving financial advice we're not giving any kind of advice anywhere so if you're looking for advice you got to do your own research you should seek out your own legal advice um we are just talking about this stuff we're not giving you personalized individualized attention where we're giving out you know dishing out legal advice um you know I own Rug Token, I own Genesis NFTs, you know a lot of people here I'm sure do but understand when I'm talking about Rug Radio I do own um, Rug NFTs and Rug Token and RDAO Um, and last thing is this show is syndicated so uh, please only come up on stage and participate if you agree that uh, we can, you know, syndicate this out we're on Spotify, Amazon, Google etc. Yeah so um welcome everyone I want to introduce uh brian fry law
2: professor brian how are you great thanks for having me on i'm i'm glad to be here it's great to talk to you it's always been a, it's been a fun having a conversation with ongoing conversation with you uh about web3 nfts crypto space with you on twitter
0: yeah um and so i think probably most of the audience here does not know who you are. But I always like to tell people that you, uh, before you were a law professor, you were a
2: performance artist, conceptual artist. Can you talk about that background? Sure, yeah. So I, I went to art school in the mid-90s, in the mid studying mostly experimental film and uh, kind of new media conceptual art. <clears throat> and I uh, went to New York, After that, spent several years in New York working as, you know, as an artist making mostly films, among other things. Uh, I ran a a weekly experimental film venue uh, on the Lower East Side, and I wrote about film and art for uh, a bunch of different, you know, publications, mostly art magazines and and journals and, and that sort of thing. And that was all prior... To going to law school in uh, in two thousand two, which was sort of like the second half of my career, but the two kind of eventually melded. So I went to law school. Uh, I was a law clerk for a couple different judges uh, in Washington State and on the Ninth Circuit. And I worked at Sullivan and Cromwell as a securities lawyer for several years. It's really common for artists to do that. Um, and then eventually became uh, a law professor where uh, I sort of developed a new specialty primarily in intellectual property uh, but I also teach professional responsibility nice work on the uh, on the this is not legal advice disclaimer there um, uh, among among lots of other things including contracts uh, I guess next semester I'm going to become an expert in comma because I'm going to be teaching that for the for the first time as well. So uh, a bit of an eclectic eclectic background. Uh, but it's interesting, you know, this new move into the NFT space has revived my dormant uh, conceptual art career. So, you know, one of the reasons, one of the ways I got really interested in the NFT space was initially as engaging as, uh, as a creator selling NFTs of, of conceptual art. And that experience has really deeply informed the scholarship I've been doing uh, in the area, in particular, the the work that I'm uh, trying to finish right now, which is more or less the subject matter, I think, of of the call today.
0: Yeah. So I actually, I didn't know this about you, but you practice securities law at Sullivan Cromwell. Did yeah, you, yeah, yeah. Did you interact with the Securities and Exchange Commission? Did you oh, litigate sure. against yeah. them? Oh, uh, yeah. Can
2: you a little absolutely. bit about Absolutely, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, well, I mean, a lot of different agencies. I was a summer associate at Sullivan and Cromwell. I worked there for a year when I was in law school. And then when I was finished clerking, I returned to Sullivan and Cromwell and and worked there for a couple of years. So I mean, you know, I I did primarily litigation. I also worked on the on the transactional side. So I worked on an IPO uh, funded by Goldman Sachs of a medical devices company. So that was you know obviously something that involved SEC registration. And, issuance of a, of a prospectus and all all that kind of stuff. Um, we engaged in, I, I worked on the defense of at least one, maybe more than one. I forget how. It's been a long time, but at least one securities class action defense where the plaintiff was uh, the former uh, f- f- the, 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 the law firm formerly known as Milberg Weiss um, <laughs> was, was the plaintiff. And um, there no no longer uh but Sullivan Cromwell still is uh in any case uh, yeah and like you know also worked in actions like in which we were engaging with with the federal energy energy regulation committee C- Commission FERC uh, uh, along with lots of other regulatory agencies so yeah yeah I was I was at Sullivan Cromwell for about two and a half years which we, you know isn't that long but You'd be surprised how many different things you get involved with in a in that period of time at a firm like that. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's interesting. I talked to you so many times about this, but it never connected to me that you actually practice this. <laughs> this yeah, in front of yeah, the SEC. yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah. And like you know, our 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 big clients at Sullivan and Cromwell were, were primarily investment banking firms and so you know the the bulk of the litigation work there was defending them against you know civil suits but also against regulatory actions and and that kind of thing so a lot of a lot of back and forth there uh but uh it hasn't it hasn't made the sec like me any better it doesn't seem (laughs) (laughs) yeah
0: okay um so let me uh, get sort of to the meat of this. I mean, really how I met you or how I found your scholarship is, um, you know, law review articles sort of are typically kind of bland and they've got a lot of footnotes and, you know, Latin, that sort of stuff. <laughs> uh, but I came across your article here and I'm just going to quote from from this. that I'd like you to kind of explain what you did. But um, you, you created a law review article to troll the SEC. Yeah. And. So, so you said, I'm just going to read this one sentence. You said, accordingly, in your Law Review article, quote, I have created a work of conceptual art designed to prove that the sale of conceptual art is a violation of the securities laws.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So what, what, I think a little background for this is, is actually kind of helpful. So this is something that occurred to me actually while I was working at Sylvan and Cromwell, you know, engaging with the SEC and, and other regulators, but primarily SEC uh, around this question of, you know, what is a security and what do we mean by uh, securities regulation? And when I looked at the definition, I thought about the definition, I thought about what we were talking about. I was like, this sounds a lot like art or specifically, it sounds even more like, like, conceptual art but it was very hard for me to sort of articulate why that was and and what it meant in part because neither side of the equation understood what i was talking about right so when i talked to artists about securities law they were like who what how is that relevant to anything that we're doing when i talked to securities lawyers about conceptual art the typical response i got was why would i ever buy something like that? Why would I invest in artwork? I'm not getting anything in exchange for it. Why would I give you my money? So what I realized was that rather than go down that route of writing a conventional law review article, kind of spelling out what I was observing and why I thought these two markets were similar, if not actually I think fundamentally identical markets, um, it was better to sort of activate it by by creating a project that illustrated the point that I was trying to make. And it hit me one late night over a large glass of, of bourbon that the best way to do that was by creating a work of conceptual art in the form of a law review article, right? And so I, what I did was I created a work of conceptual art titled SEC No Action Letter Request. And the work of conceptual art consisted of sending a no action letter request to the SEC proposing to sell a work of conceptual art uh, titled SEC no action letter request, which consisted of sending the no action letter request. Anyway, and the, the proposal then was to sell this work of conceptual art in an edition of 100 for a 1,000 or 10,000, I forget, doesn't really matter, uh, dollars per edition, right? And to conscript law professors to help me sell this work to other people and to take the proceeds from the sale and invest them in the promotion and sale of additional editions. And so in the paper and... In the no-action letter request that I actually sent to the SEC, I explained to them how this project intentionally satisfied all four prongs of the traditional Howey test for whether or not a proposed investment opportunity is a security. In other words, Howey test says that a investment contract. or or any other investment product is a security if it involves the investment of money in a collective enterprise in which you expect to generate a profit from the efforts of others. And I was like, well, when you buy an edition of this conceptual artwork, what you're getting is an investment in effectively my project of promoting my own project. And the idea that somebody's going to want to own that project in the future, the only way it gains value is by me Developing the uh, the notoriety of the project in question, and therefore it satisfies all the elements of the Howey test. Therefore, it is a security. And I'm asking you to tell me that you know I'm sending you a no action letter request saying I want to you know I want to sell this investment product without having to register it. But what I'm proposing to do is sell an unregistered security. So you should you should t- you should respond by by denying no action request you, you should tell me you should tell me I'm not allowed to do this and amusingly uh, a, a friend of mine uh, Ben Edwards he's a securities law professor at University of uh, at University of las Vegas uh, University of Nevada Las Vegas he told me that it was the first uh, he was told me it was the first SEC action letter request that that he'd ever seen it was the first time I' ever seen anyone come at me bro Reg, regulate me <laughs> regulate me baby um <laughs> so uh, unfortunately, the SEC didn't find um, didn't find the uh, the work as amusing as I did, and they uh, they refused to they never responded to to the no action letter request. Um, and actually, they also didn't initially respond to any of the uh, the FOIA requests that I sent them for documents relating to the. No action. I, I eventually did get a almost entirely redacted response to a FOIA request submitted by a friend of mine in which the only thing that remained was the SEC general counsel uh, observing that he found my observations fanciful, um, which I found even more amusing because, of course, when, they, when the, uh, you know, the, the big objection that was raised, among other people, by, by Matt Levine. So this project got picked up by Matt Levine for his Money Stuff column. And effectively, what Matt Levine said was like, more or less like, this is weird and funny, but also that can't be right, because no one would actually buy something like that. Which, you know, it's a fair point, right? Because it's true that I didn't actually sell any of the editions of this work of conceptual art. I just mailed certificates to anyone who wanted one. But like, not six months later, the NFT market exploded. And I was like, this is an entire market of people buying nothing you know, and it's like perfect for my project. So I just re-upped the project and sent the SEC a second no action litter request saying, you know, I proposed to do this work conceptual art before and you didn't respond. So I'm, I'm inferring from your response that you thought that that was fine for me to do. So I'm going to do it again, but I'm going to do it on OpenSea instead. And I'm going to sell for 0.1 ETH per edition, uh, uh, shares in a new work of conceptual. So each, as I sold fifty NFTs in a work titled uh, N- uh, "SEC No Action Letter Request Three uh, Securitized NFTs," and each NFT represents a two percent ownership share in the work of conceptual. <laughs> Question, um, and it did really well. It sold out in like ten minutes. So, um, so you know, to all the haters out there, I say yes. There are people who are interested in uh, investing in this kind of a project.
0: <laughs> oh, wow. Um, okay. So. Um, <laughs> How, how has your project been received? Uh, my, my question among your colleagues.
2: <clears throat> yeah, I mean, I think it's pretty mixed. Uh, but I think the fundamental underlying point is one that I think people are still kind of wrapping their head around and and reconciling themselves to. But, but honestly, and again, I'll, I'll tip my hat once more to, to Ben Edwards because he was the one who really pointed this this. I think really an incredibly important observation out to me, which has colored my entire understanding of my own project and. The nature of the market uh, and how it works, which is that you know everyone talks about the Howey test as if it were a kind of way that the SEC via the Supreme Court identifies what constitutes the subject matter of securities law. In other words, everyone assumes that the Howey test, you know, this question of you know is it a investment of money in a collective enterprise where you expect to generate a profit by the efforts of others, identifies like the ontology of a security. So you can ask the question, right? What is a security? But that's that's just wrong. That's just totally wrong. And actually, the more you think about it, the more obviously it's wrong. Because essentially anything, any investment can fit that definition if, if you want it to. If you just squint a little bit, literally any investment you could possibly make is an investment of money in a business enterprise where you expect to make a profit from from the efforts of others. It's, a, it's an empty definition <clears throat> and that's important because what really matters is, as Ben pointed out, the fifth shadow factor, right? And the shadow factor is, does it look like a security, right? So the, the question that really defines whether the SEC is or is not going to engage in, in regulation is whether or not the SEC thinks a proposed investment product looks like a security, right? So when you, so for me, the big picture point there is, is it a security is the wrong question, right? It's a security, it's really, it's not an ontological question. It's, it's, It's a perlocutionary act, as it were, right? An investment product is a security if the SEC decides it's the kind of thing that it is, Obligated to regulate it. That's within its regulatory mandate, right? So the the question you really need to be asking, or the only real question, is: Does the SEC see what you're doing as the kind of thing that it's intended to and is competent to be to be regulating? And I think reframing that question that way is actually really helpful in sort of not only kind of understanding securities regulation like and as a kind of as an enterprise writ large, but I also think in, in terms of understanding what the hell's going on right now, because the SEC is very confused. And it's very confused for a reason because it's confronted with something that it knows um satisfies all the criteria for the kind of thing that it's supposed to be regulating, but it doesn't know how to do it.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I really want to um, uh, invite anyone up um, to kind of see how we're doing, if people are kind of following this. If anyone has questions they want to ask Brian or.
2: Mm -hmm. Hi, Jess, by the way. (laughs) I see my friend Jess Myers on the call, which is very cool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Jess, uh, feel free if you want to hop on stage. Be happy to have you on. Um, Or anyone really for that matter. Tanya. (laughs) <laughs> Natasha. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, well, if if I can, I'll, 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 I'll take one more step, which I think might also be helpful in kind of um, illuminating the, the observation that I'm trying to make here, which is that for me, the really, what got me interested in the NFT space is that I see it as a sort of abstraction of the conventional art market, right? So for a long time, I was interested in the functionality of the kind of the economic functionality of, of the conventional, of the conventional art market. And, and what I realized as I started studying the se starting the NFT, studying the NFT market was that the conventional art market and by conventional art market, I mean the market in art as an investment product, right? Not the, mar, not the market for like art as a consumption good, like as something you hang on your all, but the market for art as something that you invest in and hope to sell for a higher price in the future, that the conventional art market has always been a securities market. Because when you buy into the conventional art market, what you're really buying is an entry in an artist's catalog raisonne. You're not buying an object, right? You're buying an attribution, right? And that entry on the catalog raisonne, that, that ledger entry, comes along with a physical object right? It comes along with a physical token. And that physical token is typically a dirty piece of cloth or a lumpy rock, you name it, right? It doesn't, doesn't really matter what it is. The point is the physical token stands for ownership of the ledger entry, and the ledger entry is what really matters, right? And we know that because if it turns out that the physical token is, is fraudulent, for example, it, it's worthless, right? You, you don't value the token; you value the relationship between the token and the ledger entry, and the fact that the token entry, the the physical token, is understood by the market to represent ownership of the ledger entry. And so, if you lose a physical token, that matters, right? Because you can no longer reclaim. Like, if you like, say, for example quote unquote, burn the physical token, right? You can no longer reclaim ownership of of the ledger entry. So when you buy into the conventional art market, what you're really buying is just a fractional interest in the celebrity of the particular artist to whom the work that you're purchasing is associated. Essentially what you're buying is a security interest in the future fame the future commercial goodwill associated with that artist, the NFT market works exactly the same way. It just gets rid of the physical token and lets you trade directly in the ledger entry. And what I think is really interesting about that is that the elimination of the physical token enables us to see the fundamental nature of the market in question in a way that was difficult to see when we still had a physical token standing in the way, right? The object made it really difficult to see what was really happening. But once you get rid of the object, all of a sudden the structure of the market becomes much more apparent. And all of a sudden you can see it for the securities market that it always was. And I think that's what's really making things difficult conceptually for the SEC, because now it can look at the NFT market and say, oh my gosh, this looks like a securities market, what do we do? And it's impossible for it to not realize that the conventional art market has always been a securities market too. So how does it justify regulating the NFT market and not, not regulating the conventional art market? Or rather, right? what does it really have to add in either case? In other words, if it's going to regulate, what kind of regulation can it productively and effectively actually accomplish doing?
0: Yeah. Uh, welcome, Tanya, up on stage. Anyone's welcome to jump in in the
1: boots. Yeah, um, absolutely fascinating, Brian. Um, I'm so curious, is, is your performance art aspect through, through your NFTs, is that sort of merely like a conduit for these thoughts and observations you've had, or is it also kind of an interplay where having this sort of platform or conduit has led you to think about these legal issues in a way you wouldn't have had without that space.
2: Yeah, I think it's a little bit of both, right? Mm. I mean, they sort of feed off each other. So, you know, if you look at the <clears throat> the work that I've done, and and honestly, I know it's a little it's a little um, uh, unsophisticated, but I, you know, I, I'm doing it. You know, I I do every I so far I've just put everything on OpenSea just because it's easy um i know i should be like doing my own like platform or whatever but you know it's like it, OpenSea was easy so i went with it because the point was for me to use these nft conceptual art projects as a way of reflecting on the nature of the art market and the nature of the nft market um and i was pleased actually that that one of them so I i did a follow-up project that was based on uh, Duchamp's Monte Carlo bonds. So uh, back in the 30s, I think it was maybe 40s. Uh, Marcel Duchamp sold a bunch of these bonds in which you uh, theoretically were investing in a secret, uh, a, a secret system he had for uh, gambling in roulette in Monte Carlo, and the bond entitled you to a percentage of his future winnings of course people bought the the bond tokens because they wanted the object not necessarily or rather they wanted to invest in Marcel Duchamp they didn't actually want to recover any of of his winnings um and it, you know i analogize that really like some of you may have heard of like the Bowie bonds for example so you know back in the 90s David Bowie securitized the revenues is his his royalty revenues from his songs and sold them off as a bond issue in order to raise assets and what struck me was that you know there was this fiction that what you were investing in was the the kind of the securitized royalties but the reality is what people were investing in was david bowie right and the idea that david bowie was going to be more famous in the future than he was at the moment that he was selling the bonds in other words that his fame was going to increase and so the bonds would increase in value along with it i kind of was making the same point so i uh i created an nft project called uh, the it was an nft bond issue in which uh, if you paid 0. 0.1 eth I promised to pay you back 0. 0.2 eth in in 10 years based on my secret strategy for investing in nfts
1: <laughs> and hey, um, a o- little o- o- open deal C- what is it? <laughs> yeah what is the name of this collection because I hadn't, I hadn't come across this one what is yeah it, it,
2: it was it was delisted <laughs>
1: Oh, okay, okay, there you go. <laughs>
2: because, because it was too explicit about about being an investment product, but also it was intended as a joke, right? Because the idea was that in order to redeem the value of your bond, you would have to burn the NFT, right? So what you're really making a bet on is, is the artwork or the promise going to be more valuable in in the future <clears throat> and uh yeah so i mean I, I i describe it in in more more detail in a paper i wrote for the stanford journal of law and blockchain uh it's called uh, the art of the token it's on my ssrn page so, so if you want the details you want to see what the bond look like and everything uh go go check it out there I, I actually do have a few extra copies left available so if anyone wants the physical object
1: just dm me
2: and i'll uh, i'll mail you one
1: <laughs> that is all that is so cool to hear and it's um and of course it doesn't surprise me that you you bring up references to, to duchamp because yeah. i mean you know hearing you speak today and um, what I know of him, um like oh my god, the, the threads of you know playfulness and um absolute in-depth rabbit yeah, hole. Yeah, um yeah. It's
2: uh, awesome. Yeah. I'm a I'm a I'm a big I'm a big fan of his he's quite his his work is quite an inspiration for my own. And I think he's you know n- newly relevant, as has been so often the case, but especially at this moment in time, I think a lot of his observations around about the art market and about art creation. Are are really you know especially contemporary right now?
0: Hey, can I backtrack for a sec to your your SEC no action letter NFT? Has mm-hmm. that been delisted too,
2: or is that no that one's up? that one's still up? I, 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 and honestly, it's really interesting to me. I don't know how and why they've distinguished between the two, whether it's just like accidental or what's going on. And now that I think about it, I'm actually friendly with the GC at OpenSea, so I really need to write to her and see see what gives that uh, (laughs) they decided one project was okay and the other one wasn't because I don't really understand what the distinction between the two is.
0: Well, especially because your, your letter to the SEC, you say, in your opinion this is obviously a security. Yeah, You say, I am proposing to sell to the general public an enterprise and an investment in an enterprise I I will promote and cause to increase in value. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, like, honestly, that describes literally every artist ever, right? I mean, that's literally what you do as an artist. You're proposing in some sense to sell people an investment in in your future fame anytime you sell an artwork into the art market right so what's really exciting to me about the nft market is what i see it doing is providing a way to use an art market model for creative uh creative workers in other areas right so historically the art market has been really limited in terms of its scope of what it applies to right it's only available for you know like painters sculptors people who have a sort of profile within the conventional art market right but the nft market is open to anyone who wants to participate and to my mind what it's really doing is creating in effect a securities market in celebrity right? It's enabling people to securitize the value of their social impact. And I think that's really a huge development. The the, the analogy, the the, the way I like to describe it, he's right. Think about the Kardashians, right? The Kardashians couldn't have existed before Web2 existed. They needed social media in order to create the celebrity value that they then subsequently monetized, right? But they created a massive amount of celebrity value, right? I mean, imagine how many people are talking about the Kardashians right now, right? I mean, the amount of social value that they generate is absolutely enormous, but they can only capture a tiny fraction of it, right? I mean, the only way they can capture the social value of their celebrity is through you know, endorsements and branding exercises and all that kind of stuff, right? But that's there's a lot of transaction costs on that. There's huge market failures. They're only, they're only internalizing a really small percentage of the social value they're creating. Now, that's still billions of dollars worth of social value, but it's only a tiny fraction of what they're actually generating, right? Well, the interesting thing to me about the NFT is it at least potentially enables, conceptually, enables the securitization of the underlying celebrity value right and and maybe enables people you know to to capture a larger percentage of the social value or at least capture the uh, percentage of the social value in in a different way and i actually think that that's really promising and interesting and like suggest to me a reason why the nft market exists in the first place and and i think you know a lot of people really struggle to explain why is this a market and why does anyone want to buy these things and i think that's why right they're they're they want to they want to own a percentage of the clout associated with a particular celebrity or a particular artist and and the nft market provides a way to do that
0: Yep. 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 Hey. Um. Anyone else on uh, stage want to continue this uh, conversation? Or feel free if you want to raise your hand and jump up. Yeah.
3: Tanya? I. Hello. Hi. Um. So I. I have a question. Um. I mean, you're talking about art, like uh, you know, NFTs, art NFTs that are just sold for the art. But what about um, NFTs? Um, it could be NFTs from a prominent or not prominent artist, but they come attached with promises before Mint, you know, like um, promising big partnerships with the famous brands or um, you know, saying, oh, we can reach a 30th floor Mm. and promising all sorts of financial gains. And then after Mint, that's you know the the founders don't deliver on all the promises does that
1: um Mm -hmm. change
3: the definition i mean does that change whether the the set would uh, define that as security
2: yeah well i mean i would say use a couple different words and that sure as hell sounds like the art market right i mean you know people sell art and it comes along with all kinds of promises right you You know, buyer from a gallery. You expect a connection with the artist, maybe an invite to the opening. Maybe the artist, this artist is going to be hot, and this stuff's going to be more valuable in the future. Blah blah blah. You name it, right? I mean, that that's just the art market that you described, right? I, I think the hard thing from a securities regulation perspective is is what to do with that, right? Because look, the SEC has kind of to well it has many different mandates but the two most important ones are maintaining market regularity right so kind of maintaining efficient like capital markets uh and then the second one is investor protection and in some cases those two purposes are in sync with each other but in a lot of cases they're they're really not and they can even be kind of at at cross purposes, and, and I think that you know these developing markets really offer a version of that. The SEC is kind of, and securities regulation writ large is sort of premised on the idea that what we need is disclosure and that disclosure of the relevant information is what enables people to invest with confidence. And really what it comes down to is like, look, like, look. when I sent a no action letter request, what I was really asking was for the SEC to say, you're allowed to sell this investment product without disclosing additional information about, about the product that you're using. just means disclosure of of information so the entire process is just a question of how much are you obligated to disclose before you sell the investment product well in in a lot of these cases everything relevant is kind of already disclosed i mean whether or not somebody follows through isn't isn't a disclosure i mean that could be i guess it could be a fraud claim or something along those lines if they if they promise to do something and and they don't right? At least maybe a breach of contract, I don't know, right? But I mean, like, that's, that's not really a securities regulation issue, per se. And, and, and in addition, right, a lot of what you would be obligated to disclose in a securities uh, registration filing is already publicly available on the blockchain, right? I mean, all the transactions are available for anyone to see, you know, so the, a, a lot of what would normally be the subject of disclosure is already available, to everyone. I think the really interesting question from a regulatory standpoint is, you know, if a regulator is going to ask for more disclosure, what kind of disclosure does it think is relevant? What kind of disclosure is it going to ask people to make? You know, I mean, it's like, you know, telling people I'm in the business of selling monkey pictures is not a particularly helpful disclosure, right? I mean, like, what do they need to know that's going to help them better understand the nature of, of the product that, you know, of the investment that, that they're making, uh, you know, I don't know, right? I mean, it's not to say that there isn't plenty of space for potential regulation and disclosure, but I, I think the SEC needs to spend some time thinking about what that would look like and maybe whether it's the right agency to do it you know i mean you know maybe this is better for a different agency you know should it go maybe to the ftc right or the cftc right they they have a lot of experience in consumer protection maybe they would be a better regulator under the circumstances depending on you know what we really interest, what what we think the regulator wants to accomplish
3: thank you so much it's very i this space is very interesting i've been waiting waiting to join so I well, really appreciate yeah. being here. Yeah, my
2: pleasure. My pleasure. It's, I'm I'm delighted. And like I really want to know like like I was saying to 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 the host, right? I mean, the, you know, I'm working on this on this stuff right now. What I'm really interested to to hear from all of you is sort of what's connecting? What's making sense to you and and what isn't? Like where do you need additional explanation or, you know, uh you know to kind of follow where i'm trying to go with with some of these ideas because i i really want to get this kind of framework out there for people to be talking about
0: yeah let's go to um dfi got your hand
4: up hey there thanks um and thank you brian i was aware of your nft project but didn't know the background so um really nice to hear that cool uh it's nice to hear that you're kind of pushing the boundaries here <laughs> um, <laughs> i'm in in the legal side non attorney of um just kind of you know being involved in the n f t space um I was not aware that the art market i think operated in the way it does um maybe i i I guess I need to read your um some of your journal articles, but I'd be interested to hear you speak a little bit more to you know how. How I guess artists maybe you know give that implied promise of future value. How they go about marketing. Um, mm, I mean, I'm just kind mm. of aware of that world, um, no, that, that's, and I know that's, so much of what the SEC yeah folks no. I,
2: yeah, no that that's actually a great yeah that's a good point. I need to I need to spend some I, I need to spend some time on that in the paper. And yeah, and the reality is the conventional art market is it's incredibly opaque right and the opacity is what makes it function in in the way that it does right so we you know we all have this idea of you know what the art oh you know that art you know this painting by this famous painter is worth you know millions and millions of dollars the reality is though that only a tiny fraction like less than 1 way less than 1% of art kind of sold with the intention of having a possibility of having value on the secondary art market ever ends up having any value at all the overwhelming majority of art resells for zero it has no value on on the secondary so it's like you know in a way it's it's a lot like a lot of nfts only worse right on some level because the art market the conventional art market is way less liquid Uh, There are all kinds of expenses associated with maintaining the works, et cetera, et cetera. And and what's more, there are all these barriers to entry, right? So it's not like you can just walk into an art gallery and buy a investment artwork whenever you feel like it, right? There's no prices and there's no prices for a reason. Uh, It's because whether or not you're allowed to buy depends on who you are. Right? Because the market is controlled by a small number of people who effectively determine what they're willing to purchase in the future and therefore what's going to have value in the future. In other words, it's all about what's going to have clout down the line, what is going to be cool to own in the future, what other people participating in the conventional art market are are going to value. Right. So the, the literal reality of that is they'll have a list of who's allowed to purchase particular works by particular artists. And there might be conditions associated with that. Right. I mean, it's not uncommon for gallerists to say, if you want to buy a work, you know, by this particular artist, right. You have to, you can buy one, but you have to buy another one and donate that one to a museum. Right. Because we want to get that work into a museum and that's, that's how we're going to do it. What's more, if you buy it, you're not allowed to resell it. For you know, five years, ten years, whatever, right? No flippers. You have to hold on to it. You can't sell it. It Has to be a long-term investment. And if you do flip it, then we're never going to sell you another work artwork again, right? And neither will anyone else, right? But so we're going to lock you out of participation in in this market, right? So there's there's all of these unspoken rules associated with the art market that are used to manage financial investments in, in that market. And which to me, like really underscore the extent to which that what you're really investing in is the long-term value of the celebrity of the artist in question. It's not the object you're investing in the belief that this particular investment property, their celebrity is going to be important and invaluable and valuable in, in the future. And, and so what I see the NFT market doing is just taking a similar kind of model and and expanding it, giving it access to that model to a much broader range of, of people and sort of activating the social value associated with the expressive meaning that creators introduce into the world. Because, you know, what's interesting to me is that like... So much of social meaning is defined by creative actors, and yet they, even the most famous and wealthiest of them, only internalize a tiny percentage of the social value that, that they generate. And, and so, I mean, I really see this as being a sort of a move into a new way of thinking about, about funding creative expression, really. And, that's, and I think that's one, one thing that NFT technology can do. I don't necessarily think it's the only thing. I'm just describing the market I see and what I draw from that. But I totally acknowledge that there's every possibility that the technology can have lots of other uses that I'm not aware of and I can't anticipate.
4: Interesting. Thanks for that.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, Bruce. Bruce, feel free, and uh, anyone else, if anyone else wants to come on up, just raise your hand, I'll get you up here.
5: Hey, um, hi, Brian, nice to meet you. Hi. Uh, I, uh, well, I want to go back to the beginning, but I also want to ask a question about the current state. So, you know, at the beginning when you were submitting your letter, the way you described it made it sound like just about any NFT project. Mm -hmm. If your letter was correct, would be considered security. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. They kind of ignored you, but I mean, the description because I haven't thought of it that way. You know, we've looked at so many different projects over the course of the uh, last period of time, and so I guess you know, what do you think of sort of the current state of what's happening with regulation and Mm -hmm. where things may end up? Mm -hmm. If you wanna, Mm -hmm. if you wanna, you know, say something there.
6: Yeah,
2: no, absolutely. I mean, I look. Your guess is as good as mine. Right. And I think it's TV reading right now to figure out what the SEC is going to do. But like I've seen things coming out of the European regulators. I've th- seen things coming from Gensler. I've seen kind of unofficial things coming from the SEC, suggesting that a lot of these regulators are looking at the NFT market and crypto markets more broadly, but the NFT market specifically and thinking, this looks like the kind of thing that we need to be thinking about. And I can't tell what they think they should do. And I honestly, I don't think they know. And, and, you know. and that's like that's kind of what worries me a little bit because I fear that we have these not very sophisticated government actors whose impulse when they see something they don't understand is to say no. And I think that's a problem. Right, because I don't think that's their job. Right, their job is to try to make the markets work, at least in theory. Their job is supposed to be to try to make the markets function more efficiently and more effectively. But I don't think that they always fully internalize that as their job. Sometimes they kind of get this cop mentality instead and see themselves as being like. I, I actually think Matt Levine did a really nice job of describing this phenomenon. Right. Where he said, like, look, you know, the SEC says we're in the business of providing, you know, regulatory advice. And so if you you know, if you want to do a project, come to us and tell us what our project was and we'll you know, we'll consult with you and, and figure out what our response is going to be. But the reality is, anytime someone goes to the NEC, SEC and proposes a project, it doesn't matter what they propose. If it's in the crypto space, the SEC just says no. Right. Well, if you know in advance the SEC is going to say no to whatever you propose, like why not just fucking do it anyway and then let them come at you later if it turns out to be like maybe paying a fine is better than being told no and then not being able to do the project at all. And I think that's really a problem. Like that's a bad regulatory model. But it's a function of the fact that the SEC is used to working with a really small number of big financial players. I mean, they're used to dealing with Goldman Sachs and Chase Manhattan, and you know, you, you name it—a bunch of a bunch of hedge funds. They're not used to promulgating rules where they have to be telling a kind of faceless public what you can do and what you can't do. And I, I think they need to figure out how to do that because I don't think their old model is applicable to the market that they want to regulate but they clearly want to do something right because they i think the sec sees a new market it sees a new market that looks like the kind of thing that fits within its mandate and they see it as a kind of institutional obligation to step in and say this is our turf and it isn't the turf of some other agency for better or for worse i mean maybe they shouldn't but that certainly looks to me like what they're doing
5: so, from your perspective, I guess, do you what do you think they should do, and do you think that the community can influence it in some way, in some positive way? Yeah, that's it.
2: That's a you know, I mean, what do I think they should do? I I don't know what they should do substantively, but I think procedurally they should be spending time learning about the market and figuring out how they can intervene as regulators in a productive way. I don't think that they have gotten themselves to the point where they can see the need for that yet. And I wonder whether maybe legislators wouldn't be helpful in kind of getting them to that to that place. Right. So, I mean, like, you know, I, you know, what can we do? I mean, I, I don't know. Right. I mean, like I'm, I've been talking to a bunch of different people about kind of trying to push the policy discussion in that, dis- in that direction. I hope I can talk to more, you know, if anyone knows anyone I could talk to that would be helpful, I'd be happy to do it, you know, but, but, but I do think there needs to be a kind of, um, there needs to be an understanding from the regulators' perspective that they need to understand the market they're regulating in order to regulate it well in order to do their job well. And I and I and I just don't think they're there yet.
1: Yeah, my boots. Go for it. Yeah, loving uh, loving these questions as well. Awesome, awesome questions. And um, one of the things that jumped out at me, Brian, from your letter was your signature at the end in the PDF, and it's cu- it's cut off on all angles. It, it does You don't see the full signature. Was that a was that part of your your art was that part of a legal thing like what No, what I there? think
2: I think I think it was actually just the law journal didn't
1: do a very good job. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. I was reading all this deeper meaning into it but
2: no. No, 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 no. No, it was just it's just the, the law journals that format these things. It's a bunch of students and sometimes their sometimes their formatting skills are not ideal, but I try to cut them some slack. I mean, they're doing their best. <laughs>
1: oh sweet that's awesome (laughs) Um, I'm kind of picking up too on that kind of question around like marketing in the traditional art space or what you've reflected upon within this space I'm really keen to hear your thoughts when it comes to scarcity Um, yeah anything you have to sort of share around that would be great yeah
2: I mean yeah I, 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 I think that you know from an NFT creator's perspective I think that's really important Because the thing you got to recognize is that every time you're selling a new NFT project, what you're doing is diluting the value of your stock, essentially, right? You're issuing new stock after old. And, you know, at a certain point, the number of people who want to continue investing in the project is going to diminish. And, you know, you just need to, for me, it's like thinking about selling NFTs as essentially being about selling a securitized interest in the future interest the future value of your your project i think ought to structure the way you think about the nature of the business enterprise right that what you're selling isn't a cons- isn't a consumption good what you're selling is an investment good and you need to think about you know who your investors are how many investors you have and how you're going to tell the story of why this is going to be a good investment long term in other words what why is this going to be cooler in the future than it is today
1: so succinctly put and i, I think sort of instinctively we we all, we do um, make decisions on that basis i, I know i mm-hmm. do I, I, mm-hmm. I pay a lot of it okay all right okay oh gosh they're releasing another sort of 200 editions next week and this week and and uh,
2: um
1: i I also thought what you spoke to about the traditional markets and um you know the the galleries sort of playing that role who's allowed to buy what work um i I think there are (laughs) some sort of some parallels in terms of yeah
2: allow Mm -hmm. things. yeah absolutely absolutely no question about it right Mm. Yeah, I just I just think that the, the difference is like so it's very amusing to me for someone who comes from looking at the conventional art market to like look at the NFT market and people are like, oh, it's the liquidity is so bad. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> right, like when I first started selling NFT projects, right, there were people reselling them while I was still selling, like still pricing the original like the original nfts right i'm like the you know it it may feel like the liquidity is hard because it's hard to find buyers but when you compare it to the conventional art market it it could not be more liquid like think about it, right in the conventional art market in order to resell a work you you have to like schedule a sale with sotheby's and pay them fees and get the artwork there and show it it's a you know years long process in the nft market you list it and you you could sell it in 30 seconds you know, so I mean, for me, it's like what's, what's interesting is by increasing the volume and decreasing the cost of entry, it creates the availability for a huge number of people to get into a market and celebrity that wasn't available to them before.
1: It's something i thought about a lot too, and and like, I mean, if I, if I sort of think of local galleries I could go into and and spend a thousand bucks on a, on an artwork, like there is no market for that, you know, and at no. a thousand bucks, too, no, which is no, least, yeah. you know, zero market, eh?
2: Yeah, no, um, exactly, exactly. It's like people say, like, oh, you know, you go to a you go to a car dealership, you drive the car off the lot, and it's like the value drops by thirty percent. Well, you go to an art gallery, right? You buy a work of art. When you walk out of that gallery, the work of art you just bought is worth nothing, nothing, because there is there is no market for it. There is literally it's literally impossible to resell that work, right? And that's what for me felt like that's actually like not true when it comes to NFTs, which is mind blowing to me right? The fact that you could buy an NFT for a hundred dollars and resell it, you sell you you resold it at a loss. You only got $50 back. Well, that's so much better than in any art market that previously existed. You
1: know? Absolutely. And like with the the classes that you teach and your, your sort of uh, engagement with your students, Mm -hmm. do you do you have kind of any sense um their awareness of the space, their interest in it? I think yeah. It's yeah to look at different sort of sectors of society
2: yeah, yeah, so I mean you know I teach at Kentucky, which is not necessarily like like tech central, but um I've definitely had students who are who are interested in the nFT market uh, when I taught there last year, I did do uh I did discuss nFT stuff in the class uh, in relation to IP issues. And I did a special class uh, on NFTs specifically at the end of the semester. And I actually had one student who created his own NFT collection securitizing his law school debt, which was pretty funny. Um, And uh, so that was cool. And he actually sold out his little collection and paid off some fraction of his law school debt. (laughs) <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. Um, you know, and I I definitely hear from student, law students all around the country all the time who are interested in these questions. So, you know, so I, I think interest is growing, but my sense is that in general, the sort of take from legal academia is very conservative still. And I think a lot of people are very hostile to uh web 3 and the nft space in particular uh, in part because I think it's a, a really radical change that they don't understand and they don't like things they don't understand.
1: Is there a fear of um, is there a fear of their reputation and how they perceive being tarnished by having any association with this? do you think that comes into play at all? i mean uh, I th- I know it,
2: yeah. yeah I think I think that's a little bit of it but even more deeply right. I think that a lot of people look at the NFT space and think to themselves, this is a copyright space because it involves images, right? And when there's images, that means copyright. And then they don't understand how it intersects with their traditional understandings of the market for creative work. And their response to not understanding is rejection, right? And my take on that is that the better response is to look at something new and ask, you know, maybe this is a better policy response than previous options we had. Right. Because what I always like to say is like, look, copyright law, for example, is just a policy tool for innovation policy for innovation policy that that's all it is it's it's just a tool that we use because we think it's going to benefit innovation policy but it's not a very good tool and in a lot of ways it has a lot of transactions costs associated with it and so my thinking is you know if the nft space offers new policy tools or new approaches to old problems that are more efficient then we ought to embrace those new tools and use them rather than rejecting them. But I think it's really hard for a lot of scholars to do that because they're so familiar with the old way of doing things.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that's super, super awesome insight.
0: Hey, Brian, I noticed um, earlier in this conversation when talking about conceptual art, you used the, the terms token and ledger. Yeah, I wonder if was there a point in the last couple of years that you started doing that, or have you always? Or what's kind of your personal history on those terms?
2: (laughs) I mean, I started doing that mainly because I wanted to troll people who were critical of the NFT market, but still seemed to think that the conventional art market was um, was you know totally acceptable, right? Like the familiar good, the unfamiliar bad and the fun thing about that is like just by using the same words to refer to some you know in in different ways but to the you know, it's like you can force the sort of recognition or the 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 analogy between the two and identity really i think between the two in ways that's very uh, surprising to people right so to refer to a painting as a physical token <laughs> right? It's true, but people don't think about it that way. Right. And I think to just re or kind of twisting the way that you look at how the market works can help you see the market for what it really is. And so that's why I like to say like, I have a project I'm working on right now, a paper I'm working on called the uncanny Token. Right. And sort of drawing on Freud's idea of the okay, uncanny brought up by like Hal Foster in relation to Surrealist art. But to say that what's really interesting to me about NFTs, right, about about cryptographic tokens, is that they're sort of uncanny and they take something familiar, which is artwork and show it to us in a way that's unfamiliar and help us to see what the market behind the artwork is really like. Yeah, I wonder
0: if, are you familiar with the currency or the Damien Hirst project? I think it's called The Currency. Yeah,
2: yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's getting at something kind of similar, but I fear that Damien Hirst is so invested in the conventional art market that he can only troll it so far. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, and I understand that, right. He, he's made a lot of money that way, but you know, I think, I think he's sort of like, he's, he's, he's going in similar directions to where I'm going. Yes. Interesting. That's uh, that's a spicy take there. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think, you know, it's hard. Like, you don't want to kill the goose to lay the golden egg, right? I mean, Damien Hirst has a lot of money to still make off the conventional art market, so, you know. But, I mean, I think, if anything, Duchamp showed us that trolling the art market can be, you know, you can troll the art market for fun and profit. So, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the hope anyway.
0: But, uh, anyway. Do you think the this era will sort of be, be known as kind of an NFT era, you know, sort of like postmodernism,
2: abstract? All well, those you sorts know, of if, eras? it's funny. I was talking with this guy Michele Colonna, um, a couple days ago for my own podcast. He's like a you know he was a he was an art advisor who's now advising people in the NFT space. And what he said was like, this is the moment where it's like people are walking in the gallery and seeing the Campbell soup cans or or Brillo boxes. And, and I think he's right, right? I, I mean, I, I think that that's the, the, for me, that's the best analogy. Like this is a kind of a, a fundamental like paradigm shift moment, I think in that cultural space in the art market. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to accept that because it's, it's so different from what they expect and how they understand the market they've been participating in the, in the past. But I think that for people who can see it and can see why it's interesting and promising, I think it's a real opportunity.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well, um, anyone else is free. If anyone has any questions, wants to come up, share your experience, feel free to raise your hand. I'll get you up on stage. I've really enjoyed having Brian Pry here, the professor at the (laughs) University of Kentucky Law School.
2: Yeah, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. I'm actually – so this semester I'm visiting at Southern University in Baton Rouge, and in the spring, uh, next semester I'm going to be visiting at at Tulane. So my wife is a law professor at Tulane law school. And my, the hope is that I will eventually be able to uh, transition down here and, and be teaching at Tulane instead. Cause we really like New Orleans. And it would be, it'd be nice to be on the same faculty as her. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> hey, I've uh, given your, your promise and maybe we'll kind of end on this question, mm-hmm. but you've, you basically promised to kind of continue to promote your SEC no action letter. I did. Mm-hmm. Have you thought about, you know, something like giving an airdrop out to your holders, something, you know, to expressly, you know, reward them?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I have done, I've, I mean, I've done some of that in, in the past. I should probably do do more. I did do a few, um, NF, like NFT airdrops of like small projects where I, I told, uh, people who, in some in some cases all owners, or I made like additional offers and gave people things. Um, but I, I should probably do more. The problem for me is like when I create an NFT project, it needs to have like. A kind of there needs to be a point, like it needs to be making a conceptual point, and so I need to think of a way that I can do that that will be amusing to me, <laughs> like because it says something about the nature of what I'm doing. Um, but you've been you've been bringing this up a few times, and I've been thinking about it. I just haven't quite come up with the right thing to do yet, but I'm confident eventually I will get there and uh, hopefully be able to do something that will will realize your excellent suggestion. Um, So I'm working on it. I'm working on it.
5: (laughs) Thanks. Is the link to your letter? On your profile i haven't looked
2: yeah yeah if you go to my if you go to my twitter profile there's a link tree and uh, um, on my ssrn page where all my scholarship is you'll you'll find the sec no action letter request paper uh, along with you know i've got a hundred i've over a hundred Lottery articles i've written so lot, lots of stuff there awesome. but you, you'll find it there yeah,
0: ball, ball is life. i I add you up on stage here if you want to ask a question or say hello. You're welcome to.
6: Thanks. Um, Yeah, uh, hello. I Brian, I've been following you for a little. I always like your takes and um, was only able to catch the last little bit. Um, I was just curious. So, like, I, a big issue with NFTs or people are speculating is, like, these promises of utility and so on and so forth, and how that can Mm. possibly relate to securities and whatnot. And I was just curious what, Mm -hmm. this isn't like a direct question per se. I'm just curious your perspective on the recent art, art just because it's like in the, in the consciousness of uh, like crypto NFT, Twitter or whatever, um, the whole Mm -hmm. art gobblers thing. And like, That whole drama Mm. and like whether, whether like I don't know, like there was like there's an influencer who like got a bunch of crap for imitating somebody else and and just I don't know these whole like to to me when it when like someone is promised uh, an allow list that's like basically that's like feels like paid promotion to an extent. Um, Mm -hmm. it's like. Like there is like a market value, and so I'm just curious whether you think that will start to get regulated or be under the microscope. And just personally, how you feel about that too?
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, like obviously the FTC has been on this for a long time, right? I mean, they've been regulating uh, what they perceive as kind of promotional, like social media posts, uh, or at least purporting to regulate that. I mean, it's, it's pretty unclear exactly how that's working. I mean, I, I would say like <clears throat> if you're interested in seeing or kind of if you're interested in seeing someone kind of predict or discuss what the similar regulation might look like in the NFT space, I'd look to my friend Alex Roberts at uh, well, she's not at Suffolk, I think, or Northeastern. I forget. She, she just lateraled from New Hampshire to another school. Um, but she's done a bunch of work on on influencers and on FTC regulation of influencers. And I would suspect to see a similar kind of approach be be taken because i i I don't think it's it's really all that all that different of a phenomenon, you know, so I mean, you know, like looking to like how you have to disclose your relationship to a project when you're using your celebrity to promote it i i expect that will likely be the way that 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 people respond that regulators respond to those to those kinds of of issues but i mean i i think it also gets to like For me, in some ways, like kind of these deeper questions about, you know, what are we really regulating and why? And when we talk about utility, what do we mean by that? And I just feel like in a lot of cases, people are trying to tell a story that makes sense to them based on what they already understand, even if it doesn't necessarily fit with what they're actually describing. And and, that, and I get it, right? Because it's like you want to use familiar things to describe new things because you know what you understand. And so if you don't understand something, you want to fit it into a box you already have available. But the reality is sometimes things are just new and you need to find new terms or new ways to describe and understand them. And And I think maybe this is one of those cases and that like kind of old frameworks aren't necessarily the best way to understand what's happening now. And like a lot of what people say about utility seems made up to me. And maybe we should be thinking about more fundamental value propositions.
6: Yeah, I I agree. Um, It's, yeah utility can mean really anything um and so it's not it's not it's it's not an appropriate yeah it's not the best word yeah yeah
2: well like look the analogy i would use is it's sort of like when you get the people going on shark tank and they're like ip this and ip that and everyone's like yeah ip that's a that's important that's like that's what and i'm like i'm an i i i teach this and i'm like what the fuck are they talking about like (laughs) Right. But it's like, it's a heuristic that they use. It's like, oh, well, if you say utility a lot, if you say IP a lot, then you're talking about something valuable. And that's the word we use. And if you use that word, then we know you understand like the lingo. Therefore, that makes you more credible. Therefore, it makes your investment proposition more appealing. Therefore, great utility, IP, whatever. And I'm like, what? But, you know, sometimes it works, I guess. I don't know. I mean, at the very least, you know, somebody knows how to like play in the space. So maybe it's more semiotic than anything else.
6: Appreciate the perspective.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Professor Brian Fry. Uh, Where
2: can people, where's the best way for people to follow you and find out more? I'm I'm available like I'm on. I'm basically I use Brian L Fry everywhere so I'm on Twitter Brian L Fry Facebook Brian L Fry Instagram Brian L Fry I'm I am mostly on Twitter so if you want to want to check me out on on Twitter I'm I'm there just you know if you have questions specific questions or something just drop me an email it's uh, a Fry at com. all right
0: all right. Well, I will put
2: those um, addresses in the show notes when this goes as a podcast. Amazing! Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Time to go walk the dog. <laughs> <laughs> thanks again, Brian. Really enjoyed yeah. having you. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks everyone for coming. It was thanks, great Brian. talking to See you. Ya. Great right, questions. I, I I really appreciate it.